scripture first today. I usually do an intro first, but I want to jump right into this. Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2, verse 25. This uh, will be the last sermon in our Christmas series that we've done on the secret, uh, the secret uh, of Christmas, the secret of Jesus Christmas that we are called to proclaim. This will be the last message in that. Hopefully, uh, it has challenged you to both share the secret of who Christ is, this open secret, and also uh, challenged you in new ways to consider what the Word of God teaches about our Savior, Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 25. Luke chapter 2, verse 25. Jesus has been born, going to the temple to dedicate Him, to offer sacrifices, to have Him circumcised as an as a outward sign of the commitment of this child to the people of God. So Luke chapter 2, verse 25. They get to the temple. What happens there? Behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout. And he was waiting. What was he waiting for? For the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed to him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. He would not die, been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit, he would not die until he saw the Messiah. Verse 27, he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, what does Simeon do when he sees the child? Then took him up in his arms. Now, I don't know if he held him like this. I don't know if he went Lion King and held him up like Simba. I don't know what he did, but it says he took him in his arms. And he blessed God. And he said, Lord, now let your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all people. A light to lighten the Gentiles. The glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them. And he said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel. They, they are marveling. They are, they are stunned by what he says. And then he gives a further word. Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel. He is a sign, a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, what else is he? He is a sword. A sword that shall pierce, he's looking at Mary, a sword that shall pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. The Nunc Dimittis. Ever heard of that? The Nunc Dimittis? It is an ancient Latin Christmas hymn. It's also known as the Song of Simeon or Simeon's Canticle. Uh, sometimes people will say, I like, old, I like the old music. I like the old church music. Usually they don't really mean old music. They just mean what was popular when they were younger, when they were a child, what they sang. The Nunc Dimittis is literally an old Christian song. In fact, uh, and I verified this with two different sources. 
The Nunc Dimittis has been chanted or sung by Christians since the 4th century. The Roman, Lutheran, and Anglican traditions have a rich history of singing this song at Christmas time, and they continue to do it today. And there's for good reason why that song, the song of Simeon, the Nunc Dimittis, is sung so often for so long in the history of the church. It is because it is taken straight from Luke's gospel. It is singing the scripture. You know the story we've just looked at. Jesus' parents take him to the temple for circumcision on the eighth day. There is an old man, Simeon, that is there. Simeon's a little bit different. Most often we pray for those who seek to live a little bit longer. Who want a little bit more of the nectar of life before they leave. And most often our prayers function in a way that are praying for those that they would have more time. Simeon is different. But I have learned as a pastor, Simeon is not unique in that in this congregation today, there are even some like Simeon that long to go on and be with the Lord. I will never forget the first year we did the prayer time service at Christmas where you could come and pray as long as you wanted and just that's all it was going to be was prayer. The first year that ever happened when it got done. A man told me I prayed that God would let me go home because I'm ready. I'm ready. Can I tell you today that if you are one of those unique ones in this congregation that have run your race and lived your life, and you are like Simeon and you are saying, God, I am ready to go. God hears your prayer. But like Simeon, if you are his child and you are still here, there is something yet left for yourself or for others. So you may be here not just for yourself. It may be that your life is assigned to somebody else. If there's one more word that must be spoken that somebody needs, that God desires for you to give, maybe it's not a word. Maybe it's an act of faithfulness or commitment. We do not typically pay attention to the simians of this world. Because most of us are begging God for more time, more life. But Simeon says, finally, Lord, finally, finally I can go and be with you. But before he goes, he gives the nuncdimitis, he gives the prayer, he gives these words that the world needs to hear and that Mary, the mother of Jesus, especially will need to hold in her heart. This is a modern rendition of the song. I'm hoping this will work. Can we try to play this? If it doesn't work, we'll go right in. Can we, can we give it a shot? Lord, let your servant depart. to mm-hmm. 
That is the song. Now, Lord, let your servant depart in peace according to your words, for my eyes have seen your salvation. And that is what has been sung since the fourth century. But that is not all Simeon said. After hearing with amazement what Simeon had to say, the old weathered prophet looks at Mary and adds a further word that is not typically sung. Look back at verses 34 and 35. Simeon blessed them and said unto his mother, he says to Mary this further word, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, for a sign which will be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce your own soul also, that the thoughts of many may be Revealed. I think you can see this morning why both secular and sacred Christmas traditions often ignore the latter part of Simeon's prophecy. Because Christmas is about hope and joy and peace. And that is true. But the truth of the Christmas secret that we are bound, joyfully bound as disciples of Jesus to proclaim also includes this explanation of how peace will come. Now, I don't think the early church uh, did not do the second part of the prophecy because they were embarrassed of it. I don't, I don't believe that. They just focused on the first part. But I do believe today that there are many that are fine with the first word of prophecy, but would reject the second. The second suggests that the peace of Jesus will come as a sword that cuts, that cuts not only those outside of the family of God, but also at times cuts those who love the Lord. Why? Why does the Holy Spirit move upon Simeon to proscribe pain as a part of the process of what it means to follow Jesus in a fallen world? Why? Well, most of you know my father. He's sitting back there. He had his cane in today. Uh, got that. That'll work good. If he's got a whip, Ethan and Owen, he can just let that sucker fly, you know. And he's kind of moving around. Why has he got that cane? Because of knee and hip surgeries. Now, his knee and hip surgery, he had those. Why? Because eventually the pain got so uh, bad, so hindered his life, that dad said, i got to do this surgery. I'm going to get these done because... I can't function the way I need to with this pain in my knee and my hip. But what did the doctor do? He put him under the knife and inflicted more pain than he was already in. Put him through more pain. Cut his body open where blood is spilled and and things are moved around. And when dad got done, he was in more pain. Once Once the drugs were off, he was in more pain than when he started. Why does a surgeon do that? Because a surgeon knows 
for you to heal, there's a process of pain, pain with a purpose, that will bring, hopefully, new life to his hip and to his knee. This process of going through pain for healing is not just physical. My wife, along with a number of others, are, are, are clinical counselors and psychologists we have in our church and those that, that, that give that kind of care. Sometimes when my wife meets with a child who is acting out and has been through a lot of traumatic experiences, painful experiences, in the, in the counseling session, she has to get them to talk about those experiences in their early childhood or that they have recently experienced that have, that have caused the most pain to them. Why? Because as they can deal with that pain, then hopefully they can deal with the acting out that is going on that is often related to what has happened to them that they have no control over. But it is painful. And there are many children and adults that when you start that process of getting them to open up about what is actually causing the pain in their life, it, it hurts them. It hurts them deeply to even talk about it, to even reveal it. I can say as a pastor, there have been times that somebody has sat in my office and cried and cried and cried and can barely get the words out of something that has occurred in their life. Why? Because of the pain that it brings. But sometimes, just as a physical doctor must do, those who minister to our souls to try to help us mentally, psychologically, they must also take us through some pain so that the healing can begin. So maybe the natural world itself even reveals to us a little bit about what goes on, about why Jesus is going to have to cut. Because Jesus is going to have to cut into what sin has done. He's going to have to cut into what our choices and what the choices of our ancestors and the, 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 the grip of sin on this world. He's got to cut through that to open up the space for healing. You see, this sword comes because of allegiance or those who choose not to align with Jesus. And part of the Christmas secret is that allegiance with this child, Jesus, will bring conflict two types and this is where I want us to learn from God's word today two types of conflict that come with Jesus allegiance with Jesus now I'm not talking about conflict you bring on yourself and because of uh, unwise choices uh, that you engage in I'm talking about conflict that comes because you are aligned with Christ allegiance with Jesus will bring conflict among other people and it will bring conflict within yourself. Allegiance with Jesus brings conflict among others. And it brings conflict within people also. Jesus as an adult would echo this prophecy of Simeon. When in Matthew 10, 34 he said, Do not suppose, do not think that I have come to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. Look back at Luke 2, 34. Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising of many in Israel and a sign which will be spoken against. You see, the simple act of following Jesus, by which I mean adhering to his path, walking on his way, listening to his will as revealed through the word of God, the very act of being a Jesus follower will bring conflict. I, I, I knew of a pastor, didn't know of a pastor, I read of a pastor in New York City 
And he told of a policeman in New York City that he was close with who became a believer. And this policeman in New York City became a believer. And on the the precinct where he worked, the way that the pimps kept the prostitutes in business is they would bribe the police officers. And all the police officers would take the money from the pimps and not bust the prostitutes. They just allowed them to stay in that kind of sexual, sexual slavery. And that happened because the police would take bribes. Just look the other way. Well, this policeman became a Christian. And he could no longer take bribes. And he could no longer do that. Of course, that made the pimps very upset. But it made the police officers even more upset. The pastor said that some of the fellow policemen came there in New York City who worked in that precinct and they had a little visit with this new Christian And they said, you are making everybody in this department very nervous. Very nervous. And if you don't start taking this money, something is going to happen to you. And we're your friends. And so we've come. We we, we don't want to see you hurt. You've got to take this bribe. Because it's not the pimps you need to worry about. It's everybody else in here that's playing the game, and you're not. This this new believer had truly been converted, had truly been saved, had truly had set out on the path of discipleship, and he said, I cannot do that. It wasn't long until this pastor relayed this policeman had to move to a new city because the anonymous threats against him from policemen were so strong. Did he set out and get anybody's face and say, look at me, I love Jesus, you don't, you're going to hell. Did he do that and it caused this problem? No, he did not. Did he get up and let people know, hey, I'm a Jesus follower? No. He just got on the path of Jesus and was confronted with a choice that he knew in his own heart and soul that it was wrong for him to do, and he refused to do it. And because of following Jesus, he had to leave working in one of the, for policemen, got to be one of the most prestigious cities in the world to work in. And he had to leave all because he chose to follow Christ. My friends, listen. Jesus is a sword who brought a falling and rising not just for many in Israel, but for all of us who choose to follow Him. He is a sword. And sometimes following Him causes conflict with others. And it hurts. Jesus, it is true, has called us to be peacemakers, but what we have to understand is this is not some childish version of peacemaking. The committed disciple of Jesus will know both the mountaintop experiences of those who embrace the peace of Christ. You will will sometimes know the joy of helping to facilitate the peace of Christ, but you will also know the heartbreak that comes from those who refuse the peace that Jesus offers. It's the week after Christmas. Soon the lights will go away. The carols will no longer be sung, the warm, fuzzy feeling we get this kind of time of year will begin to dissipate and we must remember that for us Christmas is not once a year in allegiance to Jesus will bring conflict.
both without, but secondly, following Jesus brings conflict within. Look at Luke chapter 235. Look at the second part of the second prophecy. Yea, a sword will pierce, he says this to Mary, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Is Mary pierced? Is she hurt by what Jesus does in his life about the sort of conflict that comes with him? Yes. John's gospel records that Mary stood by the cross and watched her son die. Jesus' death left his disciples broken. It left them confused. It left their dreams and hopes shattered as they watched this bloody man die a bloody death upon the cross. Now imagine you're Mary. And it is not just your master that is dying upon this cross. It is your only, or not your only child, but it is your oldest child. And for Mary, it's not just the death of a master. It is the horror of outliving her child. The horror of watching the incomprehensible evil of her babe who has sucked at her, at her breast, now breathing his last breath upon a cross. But it wasn't just what others did to Mary that would pierce her soul. While there are different options of interpretation to Mark chapter 3, I take the view that Jesus himself with his words cut deep into his mother's soul. You see, Jesus has started his ministry. Mark, Mark is like, it's, it's, it's on the mark, it's on point. Everything in Mark is boom, 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 boom. Right? Out of all the Gospels, it's just do-do-do-do-do-do. Right? Not as much detail in some instances, not as much fleshed out, but it's boom, boom, boom. So by Mark 3, you've already gotten to Jesus getting into trouble with people because he's teaching and saying things that's causing conflict. And Mary loves her son. Mary loves Jesus, and I believe that the, what's going on in Mark 3 is Mary does not want to see Jesus hurt. And so as he's starting to stir things up, the text there in Mark 3 says that Mary, apparently like the brothers and Mary, they come looking for Jesus. And I think in the context of Mark 3, they're looking for Jesus because they want to get him out of this trouble. What are you doing? We've got to, we've got to save Jesus from himself, I think is kind of what's going on. And so they send him to go find Jesus right in the middle of him getting all this trouble. And when they show up in Mark 3, and they come and say, your mother, your brothers, look for you. Jesus looks out at the crowd, or maybe to the disciples. Apparently to those that are embracing this message, even in the midst of all the trouble it's starting to cause. And Jesus, when he has said, hey, your mama's looking for you. Hey, your mama wants you. Your mama needs you to come home Jesus said, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Now, my dad didn't have a cane when he was, he didn't need one when I was a boy. But if my mom told me to come home or sent somebody to find me, I said, who is my mama? My dad would have shown me who the belt was real quick. William, you amen at the wrong times all the time, I'm telling you. You don't say that. You don't say that. My boys don't talk to, I mean, probably the maddest I get at my boys is when they say something to their mother that, that is not right or good. 
who is my mother? Can you imagine when that was relayed to Mary? Jesus is not coming. At least not on your timetable. In fact, Jesus looks at the crowd and he says, Behold, my mother and brethren, whoever shall do the will of God, the same is my brother, sister, mother. Can you imagine the sword in Mary's soul when they came and told her that her own son had rebuked her? Why did he do that? Because he was in the Father's will doing what he was supposed to do. And his mother and brothers were outside of God's purposes, apparently by trying to intercede, if I understand this passage right, tried to intercede to help him. See, that's what hurts. Listen to me, young people. This is what will hurt the most in life, one of the things. You will be obeying Scripture. You will be in the will of God. And it will start to cause a little conflict. And someone who loves you will come to you thinking that they are going to help you. But what they say to you is not, thus saith the Lord. It is not God's will. In fact, this person that loves you is saying or feeding you words or telling you something that will take you away from what God desires. You want to talk about conflict? You want to talk about struggle? You want to talk about pain? When you have to say, this is what God desires. I can't do that. Can you imagine the sword in Mary's soul as her own son rebuked her? When we get it wrong, the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin, of our folly. And I think all of us who have walked with Jesus can say from personal experience, when your heart wanders and you make the wrong choices, you engage in sin that either gets you in trouble out there or starts causing all kinds of trouble within you when the Holy Spirit of God, this gift given by Jesus to His disciples, when the Holy Spirit begins to convict you of your sin, man, that conflict. You know you're wrong. But there's something about sin, the old flesh, that is pulling. And you see, when Jesus confronts us, it is a sword that pierces us. Trusting in Christ, confessing Him as Lord and Savior, it brings great peace. But the peace of Jesus brings conflict without and within. Now, as we enter into the latter part of this message, how, how knowing that Jesus following Him will bring conflict without and within, how is it that we persevere how is it that we continue in the path of Jesus even in the midst of this conflict? Maybe you're not a believer today and you're saying to yourself, he's piercing me with my sin, but I'm thinking, man, if following Jesus, like if this is part of what it means, that yes, it's going to be peace, but it's also going to be some conflict. How could I ever face this? And this is what God has done in his grace and his mercy and his goodness to us. By the grace of God, 
He shows us in the midst of our piercing, in the midst of our struggle with Jesus, He gives us a picture of something even bigger than the struggle that we are in. And I'm going to tell you what that is, all right? But this is the deal. When you are in the midst of the struggle, when you are in the midst of facing the unthinkable, how is it that Jesus gets you through that in His grace, what God does is He allows you through His Word to get a vision that is bigger than your own struggle. What does that look like? Well, it begins in Genesis, right? See, in Genesis, Adam and Eve are exiled from the garden. What does that mean that they are exiled from the garden? Well, I believe they were literally exiled from the garden, but it also means that they have been exiled from God's presence as they knew it, and they have been exiled from the tree of life. They've been exiled from walking with God in the cool of the day. And they have been exiled from this tree of life that is there in the garden. They have been been pushed aside. And what is it that the Bible says is placed there to keep them away from the holy presence of God and from eternal life? The text says there was a cherubim, a flaming sword, is placed to block the path of Adam and Eve, of Cain and Abel, of Abraham and Moses and Joseph and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and you and me, a flaming sword has been placed to block the path to eternal life. The path to peace with God is blocked. This Romans says the wages of sin, of your sin, is death. The Old Testament over and over again, atoning for that sin, finding momentary forgiveness for that sin, means that the substitute animals must go under the knife of sacrifice over and over and over and over again. So what is our Savior, what is Jesus doing on the cross? He is going under the greatest knife of them all. He is going under the very sword of God, the wrath of God. Isaiah 53, 8 is fulfilled at the cross. He was cut off from the land of the living. And for the transgression of my people, he was punished. But paradoxically, this is how we find victory day by day, moment by moment. This knowledge is victory. Not just knowledge on a page. The living knowledge of Jesus Christ going under the knife so that you can be saved is a key to victory. This is how you overcome opposition from without within to Jesus because as you face this opposition, whether it's opposition from others who oppose Jesus or whether it's Jesus piercing your own heart with your sin, when you face these things, you know that Jesus faced an even greater sword than any you will ever face. If you are glad that Jesus has gone under the knife that none of us could go under, say amen. This is victory. This is the supernatural grace of God given through His Word. That yes, there is a sword that the Savior gives, but it is a sword to heal. And He is able to heal you because He has gone underneath the sword of God's wrath. And when you embrace Him, when you embrace the surgery that He works on us, both in salvation, when He cuts us open and takes away our sin, and gives us grace. Boy, can you remember that when you were saved? 
When God took the ugliness of your sin, when you confessed Him as Lord, and He cut your heart open, and He took out that old heart of sin, and He put in a new heart of righteousness filled with the holy love and grace of God. If that was a day, say amen. But He also, day by day, He continues to work on us. He continues to, I'm just using an analogy here, okay? But like a good doctor, we have to keep coming back because we keep messing up. Because we don't do the rehab the way we're supposed to. Because new problems erupt, even we're doing the rehab the way we should, things just aren't. And Jesus comes back like a good surgeon and he will cut you again with his Holy Spirit and with his word. But he will cut you to make you more and more and more like him. You know what's funny about Jesus? There's there's good and bad plastic surgery. Good plastic surgery is is your natural body has been deformed in a way and God has given doctors and scientists the ability that they can do some healing that can help you continue to look like what you looked like before those burns or, or, or before that accident. That's good plastic surgery. And then there's bad plastic surgery. Which, God, I'm so unhappy with the way I look and the way I feel, the only way I'm going to feel better is if I totally just disfigure who I am to look like something entirely different. Let me tell you something. When it comes to the people of God, Jesus is not cutting on you to hurt you or to make you into some disfigured thing. That's not why he's cutting on you. He is cutting on you to help you become more and more and more like the child of God you were meant to be. And sometimes that cutting hurts. And sometimes it pains us. The grace God gives is the grace that we will never go under the sword Jesus went under. Because he has endured the sword of sin on the cross. He has endured it all. How will you find strength to follow Jesus in the conflict? By knowing that he has given you strength. Through what he has gone through. Last week I concluded with, we're kind of focused on the children in our midst. They stayed with us. Seniors, would you listen to me? But this is for all of us. Eight, November 18th, 1995. Isaac Perlman played at the New York Lincoln Center. Within seconds it was clear he was in trouble. As he finished the first stanza, a violin string snapped. And to everyone's surprise, Perlman paused. One of the greatest violinists ever. The string snaps in the first stanza and he paused. What was he going to do? He closed his eyes. He signaled the conductor to begin again. And the orchestra began to play where they left off. With passion, with purity. He recomposed His entire song on the spot with a broken string. When he finished, the audience exploded. They rose to their feet. They began to praise Perlman. Why? Because they recognized greatness. Who in the world could play a violin with a broken string and still play all the music the way it should be? When it was done, in a quiet, reverent tone, he silenced the crowd with his bow from his violin and said, you know, 
Sometimes it's the artist's task to find out how much music you can still make with what you have left. Listen, seniors. His string broke. He wasn't supposed to be able to play any more beautiful music. He closed his eyes and he refocused. And he played the entire thing with a broken string. He had to reconfigure everything on the spot, but he did it. And he told the crowd, sometimes the artist's task is to find out how much music you can still make with what you have left. Maybe you're a Simeon and you are ready to go. And that's not wrong. When you have run the race and you are ready, I mean... We've sang about heaven in some of those songs. That's good because some of you are ready and you need to sing those songs because you are ready and that is a good thing. But as you wait, as you wait, no, you're not what you used to be. You're not who you used to be. But I believe today, from the youngest child to the oldest senior saint in this room, God can still make beautiful music through you. So do what you can do with what you've got left. My friends, the sword of Jesus will pierce and it will cut. But if you allow the doctor to do his work, this is a physician that can heal like no other. Would you stand with me this morning? I'm going to ask Jacob to come. Ask Jessica to come. When they sing, I just want you to close your eyes and be in a prayerful state with God. And as they sing today, listen, if you are a sinner and Jesus is cutting at your soul, listen, don't be afraid of this doctor. This is a doctor that heals. When you confess his name, when you trust him, he heals. Maybe today he is leading you on a path and he is directing in a way that's creating some new conflict within you as you follow his will or without. This is a master that knows the way. Trust him. Follow Him. Father God, I ask right now that You would use this time. Your Spirit has been with us through this singing. Now through Your Word. Lord, if there is one lonely, one heartbroken, maybe one joyful, if there's anyone who needs to come and pray today, Father God, help them to follow You and Your will. I ask this in Jesus' name.